The value of an object is deeper than simply the price tag it fetches. Hello, and welcome to episode number 11 of Contemplative Creative, a bi-weekly audio podcast tackling the deeper issues of today's creative landscape and living in a modern world. The goal? Uncovering insights to live more intentional lives as creative professionals and hobbyists, or even just as responsible human beings looking to live a life of meaning. My name is David Quiring, and I will be your host. There are several measures by which to set the value of an object. The most obvious of which is the price tag attached to it as it sits on the shelf in the store waiting for some wanting passerby to purchase it. That's value, right? These days, the value system we are most familiar with is that of market value. But where did this idea of market value come from? No one knows for sure, but there are lots of good guesses. And this is a popular idea of thought that makes a lot of sense to me. Ages ago, humans lived in isolated groups. There weren't as many of us. Each group developed different strengths, technologies, and ways of doing things. But at some point, as the population increased these groups began to bump into each other more and interact with each other on a regular basis. And first trade was exchanged. Each of them had different skills and they could share them with each other in exchange for the others. From this, the barter system arose. Furs were exchanged for food, metals were exchanged for spices, Tools were exchanged for... Well, you get the idea. In each case, a person valued something that they did not have, and therefore they were happy to trade for it with what they did have. As more time went by, and this became the standard way of doing things, markets emerged out of the division of labor, by which individuals began to specialize in specific crafts and depend on others for the additional goods they needed to live. Specialization depended on trade, but was hindered by the double coincidence of wants, which a barter requires. What this means is that for an exchange to occur, each participant must want what the other has. Failing to meet this requirement one can get stuck with a pile of unwanted goods and a lack of what they need to survive. And so money came into existence as an intermediary of sorts, a universal unit of measurement by which to compare the value of goods fairly. With the monetary system, a seller could take money received and apply it towards that which they would like to buy themselves thereby getting around this trouble of the double coincidence of wants. The belief these standardized coins and bills have relative value is enough to give them real value if everyone buys into the system. And we have. Today, money plays the role of measuring the value of all goods, so their values can be assessed against each other, and people can compare the value of their time and their work with each other. 
When we are looking to purchase something, the price we pay is what is called market value. Be it service, land, tools, all of these things have prices associated to them on the market. Their prices are not rigid, however, as their value is determined by our belief in it having value, and that is based on many things. Money is an economic value. It is a symbolic number of little meaning more than we ascribe to it. It really is a human invention, prone to the fluctuations of markets, supply and demand, exchange rates and globalization, and inflation. Arbitrary, the value of it rises and falls with the waves of these unseen forces. And in itself, that is, without people acknowledging that its quantity means something, it isn't very useful, except for perhaps using his kindling to start a fire. And that's assuming that people even carry cash on them anymore. Once a price is paid, the market value for what was received in exchange for it often drops significantly as soon as one walks out of the store. So why do we not feel ripped off by this? Well, because there are other means for measuring value, and consciously or unconsciously, we weigh these things against each other in making a purchase. These other values stay intrinsically with the object, despite the resale value maybe being a bit lower. The act of paying for something is an agreement entered upon by both the seller and the buyer, the amount paid being a dollar value determined to be a fair exchange for the object itself. We choose to take that loss in value because of the additional value they will add to our lives and to our work. Objects have intrinsic value, that is, a utility value within themselves. With paper, you have the possibility of starting a fire, creating art, or making a paper airplane. With land, you can grow food, harvest plants and trees, collect water. With education, you have knowledge that you can utilize the rest of your life. All of these things cost money to acquire. However, the market value of what you have paid for changes, these intrinsic values remain constant and reliable. Unless you try to sell it again, the market value becomes irrelevant once it is in your hand. It has the value for which you paid for it in the first place, the potential for use, and we can't get stuck on perceived monetary value because it's not that important anymore. Now, this assumes a couple of things, though. Number one, you did not go into debt to finance your purchases. Mortgages, loans, IOUs even. Dipping into these forms of funding introduced strings into what would otherwise be a clean monetary transaction. An object cannot be considered beyond the market value if it is still tied to the market. And number two, this assumes that you use your objects well to their full potential. This alternative view of valuation is not an argument to be used as an excuse for unnecessary consumerism. Purchasing something, using it maybe once, and then letting it gather dust in the corner until 
you end up throwing it out? That's not embracing the potential of an object. And you probably didn't buy it for that potential, then. Instead, when you actually think about the utility of what you already have, you will probably see less reason to replace what you have with something newer that has come along. Let me serve as an example to illustrate this with some numbers. The current pace with which technology is accelerating is fast, and it's just getting faster. 30 years ago, the average life cycle for a film camera before a new model replaced it on the market was about 10 years. Today, the life cycle before succession of a digital camera is about two years, at best. I bought my current professional camera five years ago. Back then, it had a certain set of features that I saw value in, enough to purchase it. And despite new cameras that have superseded it since, today it has the exact same great set of features and has not lost any of that intrinsic value that it has. Despite that, the market value of my camera body has dropped from $3,400 when I first bought it to about $1,600 today. Furthermore, with inflation and the way the Canadian dollar has been doing lately, the cost of the newer version of my camera went up to $4,600. So I guess the question from that would be, how much are these additional features in that newer camera worth to me? Are they worth the additional $3,000 it would cost me to upgrade to it? And that becomes a calculation of value right there that weighs values from very different value systems, something we will all calculate differently based on what we need. Perhaps the additional features will allow me to make more money and justify it in terms of my business. Or maybe I'll be able to shoot a project I've always wanted to tackle, but the technology wasn't quite able to do it yet. The more likely thing, though, is that the technology in my current camera body is good enough, and there would be little value added to my work by upgrading. Compared to the early digital cameras I first learned on, even a cheap modern camera is better than that. And I was shooting professional stuff back then, so there's no excuse these days of not achieving professional results. It really comes down to the person behind the camera in this case, and blaming it on the gear is often just an excuse. Really seeing the value of what you have will shift your purchasing habits from being want-driven to need-driven. The intrinsic value of what we have does not change when something new comes out. And this is something to be mindful of when companies try to sell us their fresh products with the subtext that what they offer makes that which came before it obsolete. That is simply not true. Use what you have well, to its full potential, and use it with gratitude. There is a lot of latent potential waiting for us to use to its fullest. There is a raw freedom in considering one's possessions this way. 
the world is changing and the idea of a pension is something that most people of the up-and-coming generation will never know. But that doesn't mean we can't plan for the future. The best investment you can make is to invest in yourself and your craft. The intrinsic value of a learned skill or a good set of tools is a much more stable investment than Wall Street will ever be. And the return on income of doing so will compound over your entire life. I would like to say a big thank you to all of you listening right now. A particular shout out to those of you who reached out to me over the past week to offer encouragement. It means a lot to me, particularly since we've not met before. Sitting down and recording this by myself, it's really nice to hear from those of you it reaches once the episode is released to the internet. I've said it before, but I really mean it when I say that we can't do this without you. It takes a lot of work to prepare and release each one of these, but I'm happy to do it. We're working on some exciting new things peripherally over here at Contemplative Creative that I hope you will like, but I can't tell you about them quite yet. Fingers crossed that I will have more to say on this in the next episode. The summer collaborative with the folks behind the IdeaSpark app? Well, it's now behind us, just like the summer. But if you'd still like to purchase the app, we would still like to wholeheartedly recommend it to you. We will continue to partner with projects and causes that we can get behind, and our support continues past working together, like any good relationship. So please do check it out. It's linked to on our support page on the website, if you haven't looked it up yet. The best way to support Contemplative Creative continues to be helping us spread the word about what we're discussing here. We want to keep this thing going and growing, but we can't do that without you. If you enjoy this podcast, please share a link with your friends. And if you don't already, please subscribe in iTunes or wherever you get your podcast to ensure uninterrupted delivery. Subscribe, rate, and tell good friends, and everything's going to be okay. And that's it for this week. You can find Contemplative Creative on Instagram and Twitter, where you can stay connected with us in between episodes. Links to everything that we're up to are over at www.contemplativecreative.com. And that's it for now. Thanks for listening. The value of an object is deeper than simply the price tag it fetches.